Hacks is back for season three, and so is the official Hacks podcast. In each episode, Hacks creators Lucia Agnello, Paul W. Downs, and Jen Statsky speak with cast and crew members to unpack the Emmy-winning comedy series. You'll hear Hannah Einbinder and Gene Smart speak to their on-screen dynamic, along with stories from the show's writer's room, on-set antics, and creating the world that Deborah and Ava inhabit. Watch Hacks, streaming exclusively on Max, and listen to the official Hacks podcast on Max or wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women, creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection, obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. up freaks and losers out there hello um hello it is me sam um uh you know i don't know if you remember me i don't know if you've completely forgotten about me in the last month or two um but i used to host um a beloved international um but you know if we're being honest mostly american podcast called studio lab um it's just me right now george is abroad he's uh visiting his family in greece which is um, you know, in theory, I, I, you know, sounds very chic, but according to Twitter, he is fighting with his parents a lot. So, you know, you never know what someone's going through, right? Isn't that so freaking true? Um, but I hope you're having a good summer. My summer's been, I'm going to sp- spoiler alert. My summer's been, I give it mixed reviews. It was supposed to pop all the way off. It's supposed to be Cliff Girl, supposed to be Milk Stout, but on the, uh, you know, I give it a medium. I have not jumped off a single, single cliff. And in fact, um, <laughs> I mean, have I even been to the beach that much? I mean, I, I guess compared to some people, I'd say I'm probably in the top 10th percentile of people that go to the beach, but am I in the top one percentile? No. And that's kind of where I want to be. Um, but that being said, today um, we're doing a special little thing. We're taking a break from our break, um, which is we are... Um, presenting an episode of one of our beloved favorite podcasts called Celebrity Book Club, hosted by past guests, Stephen Phillips Horst and Lily Moroda. Um, each week in the pod, they 
discuss a different celebrity memoir and ugh, they're simply transcendent so funny so clever so smart so there i'll say it they're gay um and it's you know it's exactly what you want in a in a damn podcast so uh today they're playing an episode of our podcast and we're playing an episode of their podcast so i hope you guys like it because we really love um so here comes an episode and i hope you like it and i hope you have a good summer and um we're excited to get back from hiatus because it turns out it's really really painful to not uh, be able to project every fleeting thought we have uh onto the internet every single week um both of us are suffering but enjoy celebrity book club and we'll see you guys soon xoxo sam this is a headgum podcast that knocking at the door it's all your friends you filthy whore your husband's gone and we've got books and a bottle of wine to kill it's hollywood it's books it's gossip i'm shook it's memoirs it's martinis it's studio 54 it's celebrity book club come read it while it's hot celebrity book club tell your secrets we won't talk celebrity book club no boys are allowed celebrity book club Club. Buzz me in, I brought the Cuervo. Michelin Vibes. Hey, best friend. Oh my god, hey, best friend. I'm Steven. And turns out, I'm Lily. And we read celebrity memoirs, so, so you, you don't, don't have, have to. to. Ah! So this past few weeks, we've been reading Setting the Table by Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer, of course, restaurateur, perhaps the most famous or most influential restaurateur in the world. And most classy restaurateur, I want to say. Absolutely. You may know Eleven Madison Park, Free Star Michelin Restaurant in New York. You may know... Union Square Cafe, you... kind of redefined the bistro. Mm, absolutely. New American cuisine, really at the forefront along with Wolfgang Puck. Mm, you may know a little place called Tabla that took spices of the East. People probably don't know Tabla. No, I know. I was like, what is Tabla? <laughs> that one, and that one closed, too. Right? right, that's the one that closed, because it was just like random white up. person, I upscale Indian restaurant. Okay. You may also know the modern at the Museum of Modern Art. One the of the most expensive restaurants. But you certainly know Shake Shack. Shack. Locations everywhere. Reinventing the 1950s drive-by American roadside oh, burger and custard. You mean drive. Drive-in. Drive-in. A drive-in. A drive-in, where you drive yeah. up and then a, and then it's a like, Kelly girl comes in a roller skates. And she's like, hey, boys, what are we having today? I feel like they were more like teens, though, and not like so busty in Mae West. No, but... Now that we're talking about Mae West. Oh, I know what you're about to say. That like that part that's like a waitress should waitress be like 30% Mae West. Like, <laughs> no, their waitress of the year. Okay, one of their waitresses who won like a waitress competition. But then he dragged her for like letting it go to her head and trying to use her waitress of the year fame. We're getting too fast, but basically this waitress at Union Square Cafe described herself as like 30% Mae West and like 70% Walter Cronkite. And that is the perfect combination of a server. <laughs> Which is so psychotic. I'm trying to understand in what context Walter Cronkite is because you're you delivering be. the wine menu, but at the end you're just like, <laughs> and you'll be living happy, darling, like on the side of his arm. And I guess it means like, okay, so you have to have the sassy personality, but also be like trustworthy and authoritative. But it's like my chopped bib salad is not like 
a sobering news story. It's like, I believe that it's chopped bib salad. I don't need that delivered with someone who is just like, it's so dry. Well, I think it's more about just like someone who has the knowledge that Walter Cronkite does of a menu. But you know what's funny? I don't really think of the newsmen of yore as actually being that knowledgeable. To me, they were these blank delivery these vehicles. These fucking sheep. These fucking Matt <laughs> reading from a little cue card. Yeah, like, and their whole thing was that they weren't supposed to have emotion or really know the story. But don't people love Walter Cronkite? And it's people just being like, we sat down at 6 p.m. every night and Father, he lit his cigar and we watched Walter Cronkite. I mean, I think there's a lot of like Freudian whatever. People just like love this memory they have of their dad, like not loving them. <laughs> Speaking of dads, um, Danny Meyer has a dad. <laughs> Danny Meyer has a dad who is a... So, okay, so Danny Meyer... Oh, wait, first, you're probably wondering why we read this book. Oh, that's a really uh, good point to bring up. So we and are, we're kind of obsessed with restaurants and dining out. We're huge foodies. I um, grew up, I want to say, rich, and <laughs> my parents took me to restaurants a lot. <laughs> And I grew up going to restaurants with Stephen's parents. <laughs> and so that's like really where our shared love of restaurants comes from. I didn't even know Danny Meyer had a book. And then I was in McNally Jackson, a gorgeous local bookseller in Soho. Do support your local booksellers. And I was in the bathroom and I just picked this up and I opened to a page and he was talking about just you were like... in the bathroom? Waiting for the bathroom. Okay. <laughs> I would never bring an unsold book into the bathroom Please with do me. not bring unsold merchandise <laughs> yeah. into the bathroom. That's absolutely disgusting. And I opened this page and he was talking about just like developing Shake Shack and having an old-timey hot dog cart and Chicago hot dogs, which are one of my favorite foods. And mm. I was like, oh my God. God, this book is amazing. Yeah, because it tells the insider backstory of how all of these iconic restaurants came to be and where the inspiration came from. And, of course, his perspective on hospitalite, which I would say is perhaps like one of the biggest impacts of our world, of our absolute <laughs> world, is his vision about not just that the customer is always business. right, but no. how you should run a business and how you need to be anticipating guests' needs. And it's a way of seeing it life, how to manage someone, how to manage your life, mm. how to treat people, mm. how to make people feel welcome and happy. And how it's also not about just the customers always. Right. It's right. about how to make literally down to the dishwasher feel appreciated. Right. And well, it's also about really sort of in many ways, you know, I think he's a fan of eliminating the status and like fear and anger that comes with hierarchies in a restaurant setting. And, you know, one thing that's very interesting about Union Square Cafe, mm. and we'll get to this, but no bus people. The servers are the busers. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't right. know that. Because a lot of the time you will see a busing hierarchy, and it's often it mirrors a racial hierarchy uh. in restaurants where you've got these busers who are silent, never talk, and then you've got the servers, and you're supposed to view them, you know, differently. And you're like, oh, here's this low person picking up the plates. Right. I could also tell when I opened up to that page in the book, I was like, this is going to be a fun read. It's not going to be like literally just like a list of, this book is a lot of lists, but Danny Meyer loves jazz. Mm. And this hmm. reads, it reads like jazz. Like jazz. It's scallops. Smoke sink. Caesar. Carrot crema. Tuna. Tar. Tar. Okay, I got to get into something about tuna tartare. This is why I love Danny Meyer. Go on. Is because he was like, oh, he I'm not 
Right, but he was like, I'm not going to be a cheesy hoe. Every luxury restaurant True. in the 90s was serving tuna tartare. And he's like, I'm not just going to do a tuna tartare with shaved truffles. And I was kind of like, well, don't you do that? But There was a tuna tartare on the menu yesterday when I was at Union Square Cafe, I will say. Okay. But it was prepared in a different way. And I don't remember, but it was. It didn't, like, break the universe. Right. Um, I will say just— It's more that his point is that just, like, if he's going to do something— Do it better or different. Exactly. And I feel the same way. Oh, yeah. Don't just throw something on there because you're like, this is what people want. So the cover of this book, so the book is called Setting the Table, The Transforming Power of Hospitality and Business. It has just a single salt shaker. And you want to know why? There's a scene where this, you know, he's having some troubles with his restaurant. He's always kind of spiraling. And he meets with his friend and his friend comes to Ian's Cafe and he goes, I want you to take the tablecloth and everything off that table right now, but leave the salt shaker. And he says, where do you want to put the salt shaker? And Danny Meyer kept on rearranging it. He's like, is that where you want it to be? Like, it's 2.5 inches off, and it's moving around. And he was like, see, that's what dining out is. Everyone's always going to be moving this salt shaker, mm. like, throughout the table. And it's like him going on for, like, a chapter about this, just being so, like, everyone's always going to have their opinion, or something's always going to be a little bit off, but it's how you go through life and manage these mistakes. What's kind of brilliant about this book, and one of the reasons I, I don't think I've ever related to one of our authors more than this book, is he is, as you say, always spiraling. He's kind of in a gay panic at all times. Yeah, but he's not But he's gay. not actually gay. And the way that he heteroizes the gay panic and, like, ends up not having this be this unproductive spiral is that he, like, he finds a way to manage it. So gay panic is a, a concept that... I have been at the forefront for many years. <laughs> um, it's a philosophical concept that has not, has not totally have a lot of academic and, and literature behind it. It yet, will one day. But it will. Um, but essentially, it is this deep, insane insecurity that particularly afflicts gay men, um, where they constantly need to change their location, change their life, like change what they're doing. They're never satisfied in the moment. It's why they walk really fast. Picture this. Mm. Stephen and I are on Newberry Street, one of the hottest streets, shopping destinations in Boston. Right. And I've been kind of like watching you shop. We're 17. Right. And we're at the Puma store. And mm. we've already been at the diesel store. Right. You're going into a spiral about denim. Mm. And you realize you have five minutes left till diesel closes. And you realize, you know what? I actually need these like psycho jeans. <laughs> the clock is ticking. Tick. So you, Talk. you, and when you, you say psycho, you mean flared, you sandblasted, yeah. whiskered. They would have to be like washed very like once a month with stones, like full Carson Cressley era jeans, like so distressed, ripped with rocks. There's sweat pouring down my You're face. You're sobbing at this point. You're sobbing and running down Newbury Street to get to Diesel yeah. to buy the jeans. Because there's way too, too much time in Puma delivering over what shoes I wanted right. or track jacket or what or have you. Or, you know, lesbians, they kind of have a different, like, sleepy disease mm. and other different kind of ways to spiral. But I would say, you know, a lesbian will be like, oh, I need to, like, go to bed. It's 12. And, like, a gay guy, like, can't admit Usually ever that the night is over. No, a gay guy will go to three, four, even five locations. Like 1 a.m. their night's just starting because they still— There always has to be something there has better. To be, there's something better. The grass is always greener is maybe a simpler way of putting gay panic. But I remember another canonical example of gay panic. <laughs> we were at a restaurant that I want to call Chili's in Chicago <laughs> in 2008 or something. And Man, our, that's great. I think we, greater Chicago. One of our very good friends who I think is a such, you know, most proto-example of gay panic, 
Michelle. Yeah, Michelle. Michelle Blank, shall we call her? (laughs) Um, He was like, we get there, and the manager was like, oh, do you want to sit here? And they (laughs) sat us at a booth, and then Mm -hmm. Michael was like, oh, wait, or should we go sit at this high top because it's more in the sun? Or wait, is the high top that if our feet are not on the floor, then we're not going to have as much fun? (laughs) Or no, we should should sit at a table because then we can all have a chair, and then we can all look at a different part of the restaurant. I'm going to be full mushed, and then I'll be like having to go to to the bathroom, and then I'm like... And so it's this just absolute spiraling, panicking, constant and guessing, never satisfied, always wanting to move to the next place. Gay men are always on planes. They love to travel. They want to go to Europe. They want to be in eight different relationships right, concurrently. Right, like every time you end open a relationship, relationship, you go to Europe. You must go on a three-week vacation. Yeah. I mean, that's also very specific to you and your class. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> but I think I've influenced a generation, and I've seen a lot of gays do that now. No, I saw Spike on kayak sales. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you have, you have like a feed into there. <laughs> into gay guys buying tickets. It's in my master kind of IBM. So anyway, gay panic. But okay, so what's not gay about, I guess, Danny Myers that like, here we go. you know, he'll see the problem and be like, oh my God, like actually 11 Madison Park, like we started offering boxed lunches and they didn't work. And he was like, and like, fuck me. Now we have 3000 like unused boxes and I ruined the earth. Right. And instead of just like trying a new crazy program or just like opening up 17 other restaurants, he was like, let's just like do so many like focus groups and yeah, just let's like double down and figure out the problem with the restaurant. They were like, oh, no one's coming. So let's like give weird box lunches to these like, credit suites bankers in the building above and like who have a cafeteria, which sounded very that company Maple. Do you remember that was like, yes, between like the ads were everywhere. And it was like, goodbye, sad desk, like lunch salad, <laughs> yeah. like and you're getting a box like duck. With like field greens. And, and like, everyone needs this like $19 boxed duck. But it was like only between just like Varick and Green and like Houston, whatever. And it like lasted for eight months and it was completely unprofitable for everyone involved. And they thought Advertising Alley was going to eat it up. Mm-hmm. I mean, they did. I remember when I worked at an agency in that area. And then like for maybe three weeks, like a fleet of maples would arrive <laughs> like every lunch hour. And like all of my like random British hotel Flocked office chicas would just be like, a sandwiches. duck now. And then it was just like, but because they like fell prey to the marketing, but it's just like no one needed the duck. Well, because they were just advertised in the in the way that everything is now. And But then it's like, no, you actually like don't like need duck at lunch. So anyway, as you were saying. Well, I think Danny Meyer, what he did is he reinvented the business lunch. Mm a little bit with his restaurants and made it a little more fun, a little less stuffy. So Union Square Cafe was his very first restaurant opened in 1985. And it used to be on Union Square. Then it closed and moved. Um, but it used to be right across from Coffee Shop next to Blue Water Grill. You oh, remember that? yeah. Remember Coffee Shop? I remember yeah. going there in freshman year of college. I only went there once, I remember, with you when I first moved to New York. No way. Oh, did, yeah. Did you get away? We got some burgers. Oh, Real classic. big burgers. Bloody Mary's, maybe. Yeah, maybe. And Use it was our some, fake IDs. When I mean, we were definitely like 22. (laughs) When he opened Union Square Cafe, Mm. everyone was just like sketched by Union Square. Which is so insane. Crazy to think about that. I I also do have to say, though, okay, so I was like, I went to Union Square Cafe yesterday and I talked to the bartender there. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about how he used to live in the East Village in the 80s. And I was like, oh, tough neighbor. He was like, yeah, like people say that, but it was still just like. 
people were living there. You could walk around. Like, yes, people were doing drugs in like Tompkins Square Park, but it right. wasn't like it was like so insane. You're getting knifed Crime on every corner. And just and, like, like people always talk about New York in the 80s like that. They're just like, you couldn't. You couldn't. No, Valerie, please, honey. Just like, like, like honey, you walk two feet, you step on a needle. Like, it's just like you were. Still able to live in the city, and I'm sorry, but you can still get just like beat up on every corner in New York as absolutely I can like outside to. of a maple. Right. The way he talks about like scouting Union Square, that it was just like this crazy Gotham of like only like fabric factories, right. <laughs> and like everyone there is just like so much steam rising out, stabbing of each other outside of <laughs> delis, and then he's like, "But I had a feeling," and then he gets this place, and then this he does the same thing about Madison Park, which is just like two blocks. Away. And it, like acting like he's like, well, oh, well, his whole thing is, which I love, is that he has to live walking distance from all of his restaurants. Love a walkable Which city. is what I do. What, you move based on restaurant proximity? You live near no restaurants. Awkward. Okay. Well, that was kind of just like a joke oh. about how I'm a restaurateur. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Ha-ha, but he popped. Yeah. Um, anyway, because he can pop in and right. just like but be personable. And then when he talks about Madison Square Park, which is like where the first Shake Shack was, you know, it's crossing the Flatiron Building. And he was acting like it was so sketchy. I mean, maybe I guess like no one was there. I think it was just no one was really there. And like the park was just kind of like, it wasn't so green. It was a little just like kind of trampled somewhat. But it's still just like, I don't know, there's like office people and like buildings. It's not that weird. Right. But he did, I think reading this book, I feel like we both agree that I feel like he basically kind of like, Invented. Invented Union Square, Flatiron. Right, and the concept of gentrification. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's always just, every time he's just like, and you know, it's so important to have the neighborhood grow with you. And you move there and you get your business and other people will follow. I mean, he put Madison Square Park on the map. He was like, and that was my thing. Like, I battled with the city and I made so many promises that I would bring this park up. And it's like, he's- if you look at all these rom-coms from like 01, 02, they're always walking with their gals in Madison Square Park. In Madison Square, no. And I, well, that brings us to a very important point that I think that the Danny Meyer New York, this this New York of like the casual bistro lunch of like getting wine in a setting that is like fun, but like not too expensive. Right, it's like, it's not a $27 halibut, but you're getting a $16 salad. And like the fact that all his restaurants were clustered between Union Square and like Flatiron and Madison Square, like... And that would be EMP, Union Square Cafe, Tabla, Shake Shack, Gramercy Tavern. Gramercy Tavern. Like, that defines, I think, the rom-com era of the 2000s of, like, Kate Hudson land. Like, it's, right, it's, it's, it's Kate Hudson. She's coming from her advertising job. Yes. She's meeting her friend who works at a publisher, and they're going to Union Square Cafe. Yes. Or it's so, like, she's at a weird, like, some sort of Cipriani's ex-restaurant or, like, some midtown place. And then it's just like, you know what? This place is too stuffy. You want to get out of you here. You want to get out of here and go downtown. And then you see them, like, I love, like, watching those movies. Yeah, I always, like, imagine, like, what people mean when they're like, I want to just, like, go somewhere for, like, late night eats. And they don't mean a diner. They just mean, like, still, like, getting a big glass of red wine yeah. and, like, pasta. <laughs> and you're sitting at the bar. And you're like, oh, isn't it so casual here? And it's like, well, your bill's still going to be 120 It's and not it's so different. Absolutely fabulous and neighborhoody. And it's giving you this sort of high-quality fare. And one thing he does often in the book, he's just like, you always have to break a rule. And then he has these, like, very convoluted rules where he's like, who says that you can't have extremely fine French cuisine – 
oh. that's at a four-star Michelin level that is served in a rustic tavern-like setting. And I'm that like, was insane. It was like, what do you mean who said? He was like, <laughs> classic bistro food is like pig cheek a la rouge. And he's like, who says I can't serve fancier food than like duck a la orange, like under just like this barn antique. And it's like, I guess no one is saying that, right. but it's just like, it wasn't exactly. I think he means he really studied in France. Yeah. And so they have strict rules there. So back to his upbringing for a second. Um, okay, this is where I really related to him. He was a hungry, hungry child. He has an eating disorder. And he's thin too. I want do you, I feel but, like he's a binger. Well, and... he literally refers to binging. I mean, he talks about in the how his parents kind of like chided him for gaining weight in middle school and that he would sneak down for and like, like ham and like unwrap like prosciutto <laughs> in their kitchen and then wrap it back up carefully so the mom wouldn't notice. Or like he in ate the it. butcher paper, just like and he'd be always like stealing so many slices. And then okay. Well the maid part okay. Okay. You mean the slave? Well, yeah, his slave. <laughs> the family slave. That part was so insane. Where and he just kind of pops in and he's like, our good housekeeper who came from sharecroppers. Just, yeah, never mentioned. It's just like, no, she came from sharecroppers and she would cook us fried chicken. And I, I'm not confused. And she would and... secretly give me fried chicken. And then, like, throughout the day as she was cooking it, and then I would eat it and flush the bones down the toilet so my mom the, wouldn't the, know that I had The it. bone flush was yeah. so obese and, like, eating. That was the most eating disorder. It's yeah. like... Well, because she would see the bones. bones in the trash and then you'd get, like, whipped for all your, like, right hungry... Or maybe daddy would spank or something. I feel yeah. like daddy was a spanker and that wasn't mentioned, but, like... Yeah, his, his... so his dad was a big drinking St. Louis hotelier. Which is, <laughs> which is very May West. Right, that part is so May West. And his businesses were also, like, that of, like, a throwaway 1950s, like, slapstick comedy. Like, couldn't you see, like, a movie, like, in 1957? He ran a business for tours through Italy for people who worked in the airline industry. <laughs> And it's someone, like, getting in a total mix-up or right. something. And it's like he was just catering to, like, flight attendants and pilots who were, like, on shore leave or whatever you get from Pan Am. And then they come to Rome and want to take, like, a seven-day restaurant tour. And he, like, charters a bus for all these flight attendants. And he finds, like, all these trattorias and takes them to it. I mean, great idea. Sure. Before the internet? Right. <laughs> Please. You needed. Well, and this is back to that point that we're always making, I think, that it's just, like, before the internet, just, like, you could just, like, have, like, any random business. Well, yeah, and it's like, as we were saying, and like all these business people who like, as Danny Meyer was like, oh, yeah, and then I like got so rich in sales when I was 23. <laughs> oh, he, he, he graduated was like, he was college. Like, I was a million dollar earner for like this random software. What was it called? Like SoftBank? It was, something? Yeah, like SoftBank. And he was like, and I was their best damn salesman on the team. And hell, I was making like, I had to take a pay cut when I worked at Union Square Cafe. And it's just like, that was so brave of you to take that pay cut. I mean, it's very just like classic, I think, rich kid obviously being like following um, his dreams, being like, you know what? No, I will stop making a million dollars so I can open a restaurant. And that is brave of and me. And that is brave. But he was, I also, I feel like his childhood was very mine because his parents were very just like taking him out of school for a week because they had to go to like Gestalt <laughs> on vacation. No, just I like, really felt like I was. going to the Alps. Like, I'm sorry, um, Danny is going to be missing seven days. I really. Really felt in the beginning that I was like reading about your family, and that's why I think I really like 
got in there because it was like about like so many vacations and just like they were always going to like the Belmont horse races for seven weeks right. <laughs> <laughs> and just being like, and I went with daddy to the races every day. And then that's what I learned how to order Oysters Rockefeller. Celebrity Book Club. So I have a, a passage here from one of the vacations they took mm. as children to Europe. Uh, this book is also, I would say maybe the first third of this book is simply listing things. Just listing restaurants. It's listing restaurants in Italy. It's listing restaurants in France. Listing foods that they had at restaurants. Listing wines from particular vineyards that they had at different restaurants in France on their trip to Italy. Okay, so this is like part of him falling in love with the concept of food. My parents took vacations alone together at least twice a year. Oh, this is also so my parents being oh, just being like... like Daddy and I are... <laughs> we're going to go to France for a week and a half and our maid will take care of you. Okay, well, I did not grow up with a slave. <laughs> no, I, I would never say that. You they, had, had a cast of... It was more of an indentured of... nanny who, <laughs> who lived in like a very small room in our house. We have to just take... I'll do one quick minute to talk about... Um, Stephen had a host of Nannies One who ran a very early internet camming site. Yes, I had a nanny who ran a porn site Heather from 69. House. No, her, her uh, website was called Wild Child with... Why? Like wild. (laughs) And it was like her like solo site. And she was a big girl and she was kind of like one of I don't know if she was one of the first big girls, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's been big girls before her. Um, but she was iconic. She had a Florida, uh, Florida ceiling Tori Amos poster. She took me to see Blue Man Group. She was friends with Marilyn Manson. Friends with Marilyn Manson? Yeah. She would always like call him Brian. She'd be like, oh, oh yeah, Brian. Brian. <laughs> and your brother like discovered like her massive digital camera with like all of her yeah, like, with all of her like, nudes. <laughs> and I never knew. I I found out way later and I was totally scarred. Um, Were you really scarred? No, I was just like, what? It was just so many. I was I 12 at the time. I mean, I think that's, I'm always like, did your brother hook up with her? Like, I think it definitely defined his sexuality. Yeah, I, for sure. Because he's definitely like into that type of girl and in a big so way. And so horny. And he's like such a horny little freak. Okay, anyway, back to this Danny Meyer <laughs> passage. Um, my parents took vacations alone together at least twice a year, and with us in tow another three times a year. So that's, that's five vacations. That's insane. The Christmas and Easter vacations were often spent in Florida, in or around Miami, where my dad could be within striking distance of Hialeah or Gulfstream Park so that he could bet on the Daily Double, gambling addict. Every summer, I went to family vacation of up to three weeks. We went to California when I was six, pea soup banders in Solvang, and sourdough bread and abalone at Fisherman's Wharf made an indelible impression. We went to France when I was seven. Everything made an impression. The hot chocolate at breakfast, so bitter that it needed two cubes of sugar. The yeasty baguettes, the sour creme fraiche, and the salty Deep yellow butter. We went to New England when I was eight. Fried Ipswich clams, lobster rolls, drawn butter, creamy clam chowder, and golden Indian pudding. What the f- Golden Indian pudding? That's is like that a, a turmeric pudding, I think. Is that a New England delicacy? I feel like that feels very like a Native American like tradition that I don't know about. <laughs> That's a Wampanoag thing. <laughs> and I feel like his ch- what I really related of him talking about how 
when he would go to other people's houses, like not on vacation. That was like his other food travels, which was very me. Like, because like when you're a kid, you're always like so like shocked by like what other kids have that like your parents don't have. Because you've like never known another world other than your parents. Exactly. So it's like he would go over and be like, you guys use a different kind of mayo. You guys Mm. use like this barbecue sauce. And he was always like being so mean, like reviewing mayos and sauces. I I always remember my mom telling my my mother grew up uh, pretty poor and in, you know, uh, mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And her parents were just like so 50s and like spam only and just like canned corn. Yeah. And she talked about going to their neighbors, the Tangs, who served her pizza for the first time. And mm. she was like so shocked by it. And my mom, did, she didn't have pasta till she was like 13 because she grew up in a very small town in upstate New York. Mm. And she was shocked by it. She also talks about going to my father who grew up Italian in the Bronx, going to his his parents' house for Thanksgiving. And it was like she was like, I was so shocked and it was so just like eight hundred meatballs like before the turkey and like and then after we were done eating like all the meatballs and the turkey, we went over to like someone else's house for just like a salami dessert. <laughs> um okay, this next list is his first date with Audrey. Okay, so the rom-com that is his romance with his wife. I mean, it starts out, it's... they Well, they work at the same restaurant, and they're, like, running into each other and flirting. And, and they're it, always, like, climbing upstairs and is, going to the basement and kind of, like, running into each other, and everyone's kind of talking about it at the restaurant. This part is actually way more Anne Hathaway than Kate Hudson. If, yeah, it's less... I mean, I would even say it's, like... More 90s, it could even be just like like a yes. Julia Roberts yeah, 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 yeah. movie, not even Anne Hathaway. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, a, you know, it's not working, but it's like he's a Richard Gere type in there. Or he's like a young Robert Downey Jr. So you're Jr. saying Audrey's a prostitute. No, okay, sorry. He's a young that? Robert Downey Jr. Okay. She, this is the made-up movie. She's Julia Roberts. Um, Debbie Mazar is like her sassy friend. Yes! Who's just like, so when the hell is he going to ask you out? Uh, she's like, <laughs> it's so front of house. It's so FOH. Oh, so I. before we talk about this, should I drop? So do you realize that my first ever lover... Worked at Gramercy Tavern. Wait, and that's what? where she met her husband. Stop. Yeah, my jaw is on jaw the flizzo floor, and I feel like that also probably gave me my root of kind of Joanne, dating. Joanne, who you lost your virginity to in Chicago in college, two thousand six. Yes, later well, two, I'm still at five. Anyway, it was yeah. not fall. Yeah, it was fall. It was Halloween because <gasps> then I. The next time I had sex was the next Halloween. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'm a Halloween girl. And that started your girl. tradition of having yes. sex annually. <laughs> um, wait, that's so insane. Ugh, you, you beat me by so many months. Well, I think I you've... such a fucking loser. You've definitely uh, and surpassed... This is panic. And you, yeah. Stephen has surpassed me by millions. <laughs> well, okay, but like insane thousands. gossip, I think. What? Oh, is she gonna, are, they, are they headed for Splitsville? Well, no, 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 no. I think they like... When they both were working at Gramercy Tavern, like there was drama. Now they're like Wait, happily married and have a baby. She literally met her husband the same way Danny Meyer met his wife. Yeah, they were she working was, at a Danny Meyer restaurant. He was chef, like a sous, mm. and she was in the pastry department. Okay, women are always in the pastry department. Well, I think that's like a sexism where it's like it's hard to get. <laughs> that is a sexism. That is a sexism. <laughs> I'll call it out when I fucking see it. <laughs> 
<laughs> like women, I think, are taught that they're like right, just that, for pies. That they're baking and, and they're then, supposed to bake. Right. Kitchen is so like, yes, chef, and you're jerking off into like, right. you know, a And rib, it's like a men are chopping and women are like molding dough. Right. Even though it's like women are supposed to like be cooks, but it's like more manly for like. Right. Because like so many of the biggest pastry stars, Christina Tosi, you know, are women. That woman that like invented Batali's person who like invented gelato. Nancy something, whatever. She's like a famous gelatoist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and see, this is where obsessed with, with, with okay. restaurateurs in Union Square. If I may, please just read the passage about their first date. Yeah. Well, now we have this context of Joanne and her husband, so it's yeah. very similar to that, I'm sure. Okay. We started with drinks at the Algonquin Hotel, barely made the curtain for noises off at the Brooke Atkinson Theater on Broadway, took a cab down to Tribeca for dinner at the Odeon, then perhaps the liveliest and most delicious late-night dining spot south of Canal Street, sauntered over to Le Zinc for after-dinner drinks, and walked all the way up to the West Village for more drinks and conversation at another late favorite restaurant, Texarkana. We meandered up to Audrey's apartment on 22nd Street, which was across the street from Pesca, where we listened to tapes of her singing Broadway tunes and talked until four in the morning. At that point, I took a cab up to my own place. I was due at work at the restaurant in just a few hours. I got just enough exuberant sleep to have the wherewithal to write a thank you card. My mother's lessons were at last paying useful life dividends, which Audrey found slipped under her door when she woke up later that How morning. How completely insane is that to write like a thank you card okay. after a date? But, That's but, so, I mean, yeah. That is cute. That is absolutely that cute. That is actually cute. Who I'm would not, do, because to take the time. Right. And, he, and you know, he's putting what, his cards what, on the, the table. table. Okay, but what is a little weird is that he went home and then came back to her apartment secretly to slip it under her door. Well, this is what's so New York and Gramercy where everyone's just like a five minute walk no, away from so, each other. No, and it's so TV show where people are, people are meeting at 7am. 7 7am, our and, favorite thing. Right. Um, but I'm just like... I, I don't know. I guess if someone did that to me, I would think it was the cutest thing ever, but I would also be super creepy well, yeah, by the fact so, that the thing was slipped under my Yeah, that you talked later, and then you're door. like, when did you come by? Like, you went home at 3, then came back at 8 to Ridgewood, and put this, like, hand Well, again, that. right. Imagine if, like, you were on a date, and you lived on 23rd in Madison, and the guy lived on 25th in, like, Lex. Okay, I'm obsessed. Yeah, I know. I was just, like, hearing about that date, it's like, that is why that is the movie, because... After he leaves, the girl just is like, ah. <laughs> and no, then like no, she falls closes to, the door, leans the, up yeah. against the door, and then falls to the floor. <sighs> and then like her friends are like calling her like off the hook on yeah. her big phone. I mean, I do that like often. I would say like in my head, but I don't. It's been it's been a long. I'm time. always wanting on kind of my first dates to kind of evoke that energy of like, and then we went for late night drinks. What was your first date with Maya? Well, I do feel like it was kind of... current girlfriend. Yeah, kind of that. So we went, our first, I'd say, official date. I was performing at like a gallery comedy show you were hosting. And she came. It was like an installation of a gallery and I played like a chef, as usual. <gasps> Wait, that yes. was your first date? So she came that, and because she, she was like coming to talk hole, and we had like already like met out. And so she like stopped by that and was like, yeah, like, do you want to like come to me to like this drinks thing? So then like we headed into Brooklyn. We got on the F train. Okay. And then like went to this random drinks, and I assumed all these girls were her best friends, but it was like random. This was after you taken her to like a cool fucking downtown comedy show. Yeah. Then we got drinks in Brooklyn. the coolest comedians on New York going. 
Okay, and I'm just like, these are her best friends, but actually she just, like, it turned out, like, she was like, I've never seen those girls, like, have her again. It was, like, weird RISD camp friends. Anyway, and then we're like, okay, now we're going to, like, pop into with someone else's goodbye drinks. Mm. And then, and this is where I am, Danny Meyer. So after that, and then we're like, okay, like, let's go back to your house to finally go to home base. We pass by this bar. Live jazz is playing. Okay, wait, this okay, is so fully Danny Meyer. And, and then you ducked Yeah, in. and we fucking ducked in. I mean, in. This, act, this book and should actually duck, be called Ducking In. Yeah, duck it. And then we ducked in, got a beer, and like made out to live jazz. And then, Fuck. And then continue walking home. We got like totally and her, cheap And her dog. mouth was the trombone, and you were but playing her, sweetheart. Um... I didn't do the note, though, the next morning. But anyway, that is, like, my ultimate thing to, like, to come upon something, which, my if first now— My with my boyfriend, I was, it was so not that. Okay. <laughs> we went to Birdie's and, like, got wasted and then went back to his tiny apartment and, like, did coke and smoked weed. <laughs> okay. Sorry. So may I transition now that we're talking about um, jazz to talk about barbecue and blue smoke? And oh wait, I'm sorry. When he has his idea for like a website called Q, Q. <laughs> it's so pets.com so... and like 90. It was so 98, and he's like, it will be an interactive map, and you can like <laughs> find out where all the best barbecue places are. I mean, sounds like a cool website in 1998, but he's like, I am glad looking back that I didn't <laughs> do that website. Okay, so he's like loves barbecue and like is like obviously like such a fat kid and is like this guy, whatever, invited me over for fucking ribs and like I've been like testing like smoke pits all over this country. So he opens his barbecue restaurant and he's like, my whole thing is that I didn't want it to seem like a theme park and just like the last thing he wanted to do was to have like so many old Coke signs. But like I've passed by Blue Smoke and it looks is so so old old Coke Coke signs. signs. (laughs) And I guess they got like really, I mean, it's definitely like still in business. Theme, seem like a theme park and it's like it looks like a fucking theme park on the website like, right and it's like his it looks and, so airport yeah and then it's being so like blue smoke and just like neon and like twisty things and like everyone is like in a plaid shirt and it's like I don't know I do think that he was like it's so hard to do BBQ in New York because people oh, it's all about smoke, context smoke ordinances well smoke ordinances is huge <laughs> <laughs> for one but also people are obsessed with finding an off the beaten track barbecue place and right. that is the thrill of it right. and then going in so like nothing is off the beaten path about going to 23rd in Madison and also like Danny Meyer is already famous and it's just like we already have the celebrity thing so right like... and you're like okay so you're popping up this BBQ you know what I want to do because there is a jazz club underneath right one day we should go to the jazz club right and you can get fair from that Blue his, Smoke. like, cousin owned Yes. Whatever. And he, like, bought him out or something. But then I looked, and there's, like, a Blue Smoke at JFK. So maybe... Right, which is, like, yeah, that's not off the beat map. <laughs> <laughs> maybe on our next flight to, who knows, Nantucket, who knows? Zanzibar. Yeah. Nashville, Toronto. Um, we'll stop at BS. <laughs> BS. I feel terminal like that sounds six. very JetBlue terminal. Yeah. It sounds very T4. And you're getting just, like, a... 1899 pulled pork sandwich. Um, and you're ordering it from an iPad. Because yeah. where is service nowadays? <laughs> Everything is automated. Okay, I love the word he uses, a hospitalitarian. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so Danny Meyer's restaurants a few years ago made quite a lot of news, quite a bit of hubbub. I've got a lot of tongues of flapping and lips of wagging about, <laughs> or I wait, reverse what? that. Tongues of. Tongues a wagging and lips a flapping. 
about not tipping and completely yeah. eliminating tipping from most restaurants and instead including it in to the prices. So your food is a little bit higher. Food's more expensive, but everyone's getting tipped equally. And therefore, the poor waiters and waitresses are not dependent on the whims of you some know, crazy rich some man. Some crazy rich man who either maybe had a bad day and doesn't feel like tipping. And it's just like, I got my salad late and right. you poured my wine. Wait, right. okay, you know, that some part. Some guy's a bad day at the market and comes in and takes it out on the waitress. One thing about wine, when he there's a reviewer that comes in he knows the guy like hates when white wine is too chilled so Danny oh, Meyer so like rubs it between his thighs yeah and then it turns out like the, the wine was too warm yeah and it was like all this th- this hot, hot thigh this hot thigh wine <laughs> that actually like does sound kind of good though and I do and I will say I actually used to work at City Winery which is as a, a usher as an, as an usher which is like a position that's like a, it's like a two and a half hour job yeah it's kind of the lowest well in Danny Meyer world you're Danny part world, of the ballet yes, okay you're absolutely part of the ballet and you're, you're, you're a flute in the orchestra it was a good job because I got to see shows for free and you I, saw Macy Gray. I saw Macy Gray. I saw... City Winery is a place that, like, mm, it's very for, like, people that had, like, a really big singer-songwriter album in 92. Yeah, and and had, like, one big hit, like, duh, duh, what, Tom's Diner. Um, yeah, Suzanne Vega. I saw her perform there. Uh, Betty saw, always plays there, the band that sings the Word theme song. Anyway, one thing I learned working <laughs> at City Winery was that red wine is often served too hot at restaurants and white wine is served too cold. Because, like, the Americans are here. stupid right. and they're always like... Red wine's supposed to be steamy yeah. boots and... Okay, there's that passage where he talks about, like, things that really annoy him that are about restaurants that, like, servers do, which was so fucking on the Oh, Monet. well, he was extremely accurate. Okay, so I do think the best thing about where he teaches his servers and is to be like, you need to know when someone is, like, either having a business lunch or, like, an anniversary or just, like, needs to be left alone or, like, does want to be catered to. He also goes in that whole thing, which is so insane, of how he manages... A reservation, and he's like, if wow. I know that, like, a publishing mogul is sitting at, like, table, like, 13, and then I see that, like, a finance year mm. is sitting at, like, table 27, I'm going to sit them together. And then it's like, and days later, yes, a deal was brokered, and they had investments. <laughs> so, I mean, he, you know, he's the original Trump. He actually is the deal maker. Yeah. And he's making the deals happen in proximity. Okay, this passage where he talks about what? He doesn't want waiters to do. I cringe when a waiter asks, how is everything? That's an empty question that will get an empty response. Also, I can't stand the use of we to mean you as in, how are we doing so far? I abhor the question, are you still working on the lamb? If the guest has been working on the lamb, it probably wasn't very tender or very good in the first place. No, my parents are like obsessed with like roasting servers who ask if you're still working like that was like their family joke but they really like kind of oh they still make it they still make it and I'm like all right. I mean I I mean tea though no tea tea served I remember being like 10 and they were like are we still working Uh, we're not working we're eating (laughs) (laughs) what I find annoying about it though is it's just like it like makes me feel like guilty for having not finished it well because it's like they're waiting and they're like are you are you still like you're still kind of plunging your way through this chicken here and it's like babe I'm trying to enjoy myself Oh, if a guest says thank you for something, the waiter should not answer no problem. Since when is it necessary to deny yeah. that delivery and excellent service is a problem? A genuine you're welcome is always the appropriate response, which I also think is true. Because okay. saying no problem is so like as if like— It was a problem. Yeah, as if they were going to go out of their way or something. But I also feel like you're welcome is somewhat like overly formal. 
Yeah, I feel like you could just say nothing. Can say my pleasure, I think is kind of nice. But then he talks about how you go to the Ritz-Carlton and everyone says my pleasure and it sounds like a cult. Well, right. And that is what's great. And also then like when we went to this real tour of our trips, when we went to Vegas and that like began our joke of saying, oh, you're going to want to go ahead. ahead. Because anytime like we were like, oh, can we get towels? They would deliver towels Danny Meyer style to our door. (laughs) And then they would call a second later and be like, hello. How was your towel experience? Right. <laughs> and you're just like, this is too much hospitality. Yeah, actually, too. You it's, should know, it's an invasion. You should know when to step back. And but how, know when to push forward. Well, because one thing that he said that, that really resonated, he says, service is the delivery of a product. Hospitality is how the delivery of that product makes someone feel. And so, sure, when the towels are delivered promptly, that can be nice. But the phone call, and then are you going to go ahead and enjoy the towels that you received? It's just, it's a lot. And I do have to kind of get through my day. Okay, I felt, by the way, like reading this book and like taking all my scrawls of notes, I felt like so um, like a down and out businessman in like a worn like suit, like reading this book. Like, like how so, like, to death be, of a salesman. Yeah, like how to be successful. And I'm taking furious <laughs> notes, being like, the road to success is paved with mistakes. And I'm just like, no, I'll let me just t- read this book and then I'll become like a rich hotelier. Well, so when I was, I would say, ages nine to 11, mm. I really wanted to own a hotel. That was one of my big dreams. It was kind of, I think I was, I would own a women's basketball team or play. Play in a women's basketball team, then with that money. Play to own. (laughs) Play to own. And then I was thinking I would own a hotel. And I had this recurring fantasy. And it was usually just kind of like me walking into a hotel. And then like me sitting at a desk. And I'm just like, oh, I just want to go to hotels. (laughs) So there wasn't really a lot of just like, not even like deed signing or just like, this is my hotel. More just like literally being in the hotel. Yeah, I mean, definitely I was briefcase and I was like in a suit and I'm walking in. I was kind of being so like gunsed like Everyone Are, who works there is—is is there like—is there like? a busty hostess who's just like pushing a martini being like sir here you are <laughs> yeah I'm sure I had like a hot secretary yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> and then I sit back and they're just like Mr. Murata yeah. <laughs> we have your three o'clock <laughs> and my parents were like oh my god amazing you can go to like the Cornell like school of hotels hotel management right which are where our good friend McCall went right and then kind of I was like I, I think that could still be in the cards for no you. I don't I'm, I'm not shutting that but up but you know what I think your instinct to want to be a hotelier I think I have great hospitality. Yes. And I think that you want people to have fun. I feel the same way. You know, you want to, and that's what being a host is about. It's what, you know, it's what hosting a comedy show is. It's what Mm -hmm. hosting a podcast is about. You want to bring people in and have them have a good time. Exactly. He has something in there about it. It is kind of about being like a service top, basically. Mm -hmm. It's like you get your pleasure. Yes. Basically servicing. Right. Others. Jeans stay on during sex. You are <laughs> yeah. going down on someone else, and when they come, they're and I'm done. in my heavy denim. Although, you know what's Danny Myers a service up, but now I'm actually questioning. Okay, I feel like in lesbian sex, mm-hmm. giving oral is not necessarily bottom behavior. No, that's that's the whole switch because I feel like I feel like actually receiving no, oral is more the, the bottom. That's the bottom because then you have to like admit like you have like a pussy, right? And like giving, giving. So oral. giving is more just like fuck yeah, like yeah. I'm like service. I'm giving like I'm gonna make my girl but come. Are, but are there stud tops nowadays who do who would talk about getting head from a from a woman? Yeah, but I think it's like Still you know pretty you, new. you well no you talk about it but you're like yeah I got a blowjob. Oh, like she sucked on your 
strap? <laughs> yeah, my strap. Okay. But or just even receiving just like someone eating you out, being like, yeah, like even I got hit. To receive and eat out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cool. Um, so a little brief kind of on that. Because I know, right, in gay guy culture. Right. If you are sucking a dick, you are not a top. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? These cultural rules it's we so build. Cr- right. Like, why does one thing have to be one way? And this was something we, we could go, you know, probably late night eats at Union Square Cafe or Gramsci mm. Tavern. Right. And just discuss it. Right. And who says that a late night eat doesn't <laughs> have to be elevated French bistro fare? Right. Who says you can't? Have a gorgeous steak frites reinvented. Who says that a restaurant at a museum just has to be a rote cafeteria for mm-hmm. museum goers and not a high luxury dining experience? Speaking of Tuesday night. We went to. The Modern. The two-star, I believe, Michelin Two, yeah, restaurant. Two-star Michelin. Michelin restaurant in the MoMA. It was I've never it was, never been. I had never been. It was absolutely fabulous. It was so fucking fab. We got drinks. I had, I also would say let's talk about the service for a second. The phenomenal. going in was phenomenal. It's like the also it was so <laughs> the perfect. The going in. The going in. <laughs> Lily's uh, Lily's stages of a meal. The Go going in. in. <laughs> well, because he talks about like hospitality, like it is a battlefield. The reservation is is our first line of defense. Yeah, and it's like. There were no tables, and we were like, there was no seats at the bar, and we were like asking if we could have like a bar table, and she was being so classic restaurant, like literally, you know, she was just like paging through an iPad that was just blank, and was just like, yeah, uh, maybe we can squeeze you in, it's going to be 45 minutes. And, and it then, is about managing expectations. Right, because you don't want to promise something or turn someone off. Right, and you don't want to like overbook and like, you know, kill the waiters and kill the kitchen. Um, but then she was like, do you mind like all squeezing around this table? And it was like this absolutely massive banquet that could have fit like five more people. And she was like, is this okay? Or just like, we'll suffer. Right, we'll suffer. It's just so Midtown and I feel like people in Midtown are like, I need like a wide, wide banquet to no. like sit my ass down on. If the spatial relations in Midtown. And we're kind of, we're accustomed to kind of generous. five leaves. Oh, yeah. Five leaves. We've been cramming yeah. in our us millennials. We'll, we'll fit like sardines. But so I would say it was perfect service. You know, it was, they laughed at some of our jokes. When I was, when I was jokes. coughing, a waiter came within like 15 seconds with like a jug of water, like seeing that I was coughing and needed water. Right. It was. Eyes. Open. Yes. And we ordered quite randomly, I'll say. Yeah, we got scallops and fries. Dessert first. (laughs) (laughs) This was because our friend was being weird, but, and you know, and they didn't bat an eye. And they're like, the same friend who ironically was in that story I told earlier about wanting to sit at a different table at Chili's. And you have to be ready for anything. When someone Mm. says, hey, I want to get ice cream and then I want scallops. You don't bat an eyelash, you bring it out as it comes if that's what the diners need. Also, the woman, some woman from Mrs. Maisel was there. Okay, so follow up to that story. <laughs> so that actress who was Mrs. Swan or Miss Swan on Mad TV it is now in Miss Maisel. Yep. Was a couple seats down from us at the Modern. And we look over, we're like, oh my God, that's that woman from Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Cut to the next day. Also, she was being so fab of having two phones and a whiskey. What? My favorite <laughs> meal. <laughs> Do you think it was a Santori, a Japanese? I bet whiskey? it was Japanese, definitely. Like all she their, was screaming Santori all their vibes. cocktails were a, mi- a blend of a Japanese whiskey and an Australian whiskey. And it's, okay, it's just like and these whiskeys need to live together. Like, yeah, they have to be combined. Mm-hmm, plays well and with everything others. was like reserve cocktails twenty, batch reserve thirty, batch reclaimed reserve thirty five. So I was at 
Dating Myers Union Square Cafe the next day. I pull up to the bar. I put setting the table, this book we're reading, on the bar. I sit down. The bartender looks at me and goes, oh, what's that book? And I like <laughs> smiling and I'm just like, oh, it's about the restaurant industry. It's pretty good. Then the guy next to me, this like old middle-aged guy on like seven iPads turned to go, I helped him write it. Stop. That- <laughs> okay. Then like 10 minutes later, these like two fabulous chicas come in and are having like this. Like, Wait, you're late... sitting at the bar? I'm sitting at the bar. Okay, classic. Uh, okay. Oh, 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 here's another yes. tip. Always sit at the bar. Always sit at the bar because you become friends with the bartender. They're one, they're more likely to like probably give you some free stuff. They give you free shit and they're or, like, like to bigger pours. Become, become friends. So then these two fabulous chicas come in. They're like laughing. Da, da, da. Within 30 seconds, they're talking about Danny Meyer's book and they're just like, oh no, and he says it in the book. The bartender's over there with these two chicas. He turns to me, smiles. I raise my book cover up and show it to him. And like the chica goes, she was shut up. You just said the name of the book and it appeared. Quick, say a million dollars. No. (laughs) (laughs) How old were they? We were just like 40. Oh my God. Two fab, like 42. One was with like the most crimped hair. Like, that was also so Kate These are the girls. No, it's women, like, sorry. You go into a Denny Mary restaurant, it is 2002. Right, and, like, and you're back in the rom-com. And they have, like, probably dished on so many dates there. No, like, I mean, it is also Sex and the City because he talks about how the Sex and the City, Sex and the City. Sex and the City, I Sex do and need the City, Sex and the City, yes, absolutely. Um, came on their bus tour to EMP. 11 Madison Park. Yeah. One of the finest restaurants in the world. Absolutely. Um, so those two are then... Then there's a guy on his laptop to the right of me who is alternately like reading scripts and then checking his AOL mail. This was yesterday. You fully did like a time jump. It's a time jump to O2. And I'm just like, someone's checking their AOL mail at this like bar at two where we're all having like this wine lunch. So he, I've like already talked to the bartender about this podcast and yeah. sort of why I'm here just to sort of be upfront about my motives. No, I mean, because he was like, Because I don't want him to think I was some weird spy or like that I was like a cop hired by Danny Meyer or to like, I, whatever. Yeah, because I, I was like, that is so like wearing the band's t-shirt to the band when no, you said I, that you were bringing the book like there and you're being so front and center and I was like, either they're going to love it or be like so sketched They're going to love it because everyone there is a full Danny Meyer fan. Right. So this guy's listening to me say this and he was telling me about his career as writer he's like oh okay so like i'm actually um uh, i'm a writer for marvelous mrs Maisel." and Uh, i was just like wait what what? and he was like we actually had like the Maisel premiere at moma and i was like oh like the Maisel brothers have a new movie because i thought i just like remembered you like working for the Maisels, working for the Maisels, and so like i know that they exist and he was like no the marvelous mrs Maisel." and i was like oh what that's why we saw the Maisel star dining alone at the Modern. I can't believe, because I'm sure there was some other drinks. Do you think she, like, ditched it and was just like, I need to, like, be alone at the Modern? Which is so fabulous of her to yeah, just be like, I'm, I'm just sorry, like, I just, like, can't be around all these people. I'm just going to go next and, door. And, like, get my Santori. And have my Santori and have my, like, moment to decompress. After this. Or maybe it was, like, before the panel. She was just like, oh, she's one of those people who's like, I hate to watch my own material. I can't, I can't be. Can't, I can't oh. be in the theater when Wait, it's screening because it was like seven or yeah. something. She it probably was like I hate watching myself. So because yeah. of course there's Parker. So like oh, I think I've only seen one episode of right, Sex yeah. in the City. <laughs> <laughs> 
Anyway, it was just like, wow, Danny Meyer owns New York. Like, people are going to the Monitor one night and then going to Union Square Cafe the next day. I go for his hospitality. And I feel like the whole thing about Union Square Cafe is him building repeat customers. This, people who go to Union Square I mean, Cafe I was very are just people like, who go every week. Everyone there was a regular. Then another guy comes in and the bartender turns to me. He's like, oh, hey, Nick, uh, like, you take sparkling, right? And he's like, of course. And then he's like, and he just like knows his water. The memory order. and the water. I feel like I'm really not like a regular anywhere. A regular anywhere, and mm. it makes me sad. Boots. Sad. Yeah. Like I've like the bar probably I've been to like most is probably just like Julia's. They don't like recognize you. I mean, I would say I'm a regular at Asian Roma where I host my comedy show. Well, I that doesn't count. Certainly You're don't. not like going there just for like the spaghetti oil. <laughs> no, I'm not going for the pasta with oil. But if I ever go there when I'm not. I mean, I get that's different. That's a venue I have a relationship with. Yeah, it's very different. Yeah. Like, I'm also a regular at Honey's, I guess. Yeah. Where I perform and clean and drink. But I don't really get any free drinks at Honey's, really. We used to. Yeah. Segment fives. How does she live? How, How does, does she eat? eat? What does she, she wear? wear? Okay. So I she... kind of cheated just to top this off. Okay. What you read like an architect? I read like an Meyer. NYT, like inside of like Danny Myers. Sunday was home. Danny. Okay. Can I guess? Yeah. So let's first off, how does he live? Right. I'm guessing like deep leather couch from Restoration Harbor. It's very Restoration Hardware, but it's not leather. It was all about, like, wine-colored corduroy couches. It's just tons of big couches. It yeah. was like, you're going to need to, like, struggle it's, for it's, a seat. Okay. For, like, between <laughs> just, oh, wait, die. They have a dog that's an Italian truffle-sniffing dog. What the yes, fuck? we need. Wait, it's literally just, like, a pig, but it's a dog? Yeah. <laughs> I wish my cat could sniff truffles. That's in soon. Um, I, yeah, I'm picturing just a lot of like warm fabric. Yeah, warm fabric. So it's like I think it's in the, big and lush yeah, and cozy. Huge big. It's almost like when you go to someone's like a state in the south of France and it's like kind of like old fashioned y but like modern. The estate I stayed at in the <laughs> south of France. Was just, like, very old-fashioned no, only? No, well, I guess it actually was kind of a mix. It was kind of 80s and, like, big tile and, like, oh, big that's sinkable like so couches. Oh, that's, like, like, I'm talking about, like, sink-worthy couches. Also, I'm picturing he has a double farm sink and, like, hanging copper pots, so Julia Child style. That, but it's also just, like, a lot of big bookcases. It's a duplex in Gramercy. It's basically Obviously. just, like, a ton of, like, corduroy huge couches. Is, it, is there, there's, like, a uh, ladder, rolling ladder? Yes, rolling ladder. Also, so Danny Mark t- always talks about how he's obsessed with early Americana antiques. Mm. And he's so American pickers. And right. he's getting a massive propeller. Which is like the straight way to like design is like you can be obsessed, but it is so propeller and like barn door mm-hmm. and like de- a desk well, from Massachusetts in 1623. You know, they want to hearken back to a time when things were a little simpler. A little simpler. Yeah, when everyone knew their place, shall we say. Okay, what does he wear? I mean, he's so just like slim, the most, like, navy blazer. But he's so like, I have a tailor that I've had for 30 years. Yeah, it's years. like the most boring suit. I go to but the it's... tailoring district to get my clothes tailored. Like, but there's an alternate. Has, like, I feel like he has like a Brioni suit or like, or, like a Laura Piana. Definitely Brioni suits. Yeah. And it's Armani. It's just like classic suits, tailored. But he's, he's always, he's also very like, 
I get my shoes I get my, in Italy. My shirts in London. I get my shirts in London. I get my ties in France. And I bet he has like a really good pair of Levi's. <laughs> For like Sundays only. Yes, Sundays only. And that's when like he walks the truffle dog. When I, when I go find a new pit spot, a new pit joint. That, yeah, he's like, we uh, grab I, some beers and watch the Cardinals and just just rift on jazz, antiques and he, barbecue. He doesn't seem like he ever is really relaxed, though. And that's another gay panic thing. Like, I feel like he's no, never but I also bet he doesn't sleep that much. Yeah, I mean, he's a oh, he's very like Illuminati four hours a night. Yes. What does he eat? <laughs> Honey. Well, this is interesting because what doesn't he eat? Yeah, like, what doesn't he eat? He, yes, is going on like constant trips and is tasting everything and is going to every bistro and is always like perfecting his restaurants. But I also feel like he's like still like so weirdly like celeb and is just like random parfait, like juice in the morning. And then like. What do you think a parfait is? <laughs> <laughs> Um, like a parfait is like granola and yogurt. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. All right, I guess I think it's people parfait is like so dessert though. <laughs> Not like this huge banana truffle. Right, like, exactly. That's okay. like <laughs> I'm just thinking more like it's some like Icelandic yogurt with blueberries, and then like his wife is like, "Danny, you should eat breakfast," and he's like. <laughs> I don't eat breakfast. Or he's doing, or he's being so, okay, do you think that he's, he's never been so like keto or whatever. That's like so mm. anathema to just like loving food. No, but I mean, he's like a runner. Like he's so treadmill. He's treadmill. He's not run. He's so, I mean, he's so, hello, he's so rom-com. Like yeah. he's on the phone, on the treadmill. On the treadmill, on the Bluetooth. And yeah. then is like, whew, grabs the towel. Yeah. <laughs> and then his wife is like, put on a new shirt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't kiss me with those That's lips. So- <laughs> Wear the blue one with the blue tie. Uh, she keeps me honest. He's always just, oh, he's so <laughs> saying that people are like a good judge of character. Oh, he's like, you know that person in your family? Who's a great judge of character. Who can go on jury duty and tell if someone's innocent in a second. And I'm like, whom's the fuck? Okay, I have a theory that people who always claim that they're a good judge of character are, are actually, actually the worst are judge actually of... just like racist. Yeah, like psychos. <laughs> they're like, I can fucking tell when someone's a snake. Right. And you're like, hmm. That's actually very your ex. Well, I, that's what I'm talking about. immediately refers to people as being cockeyed. <laughs> She was always like, I knew she was a fucking snake. And then like six months later, she'd be like, Stephanie's actually really cool. Yeah. <laughs> but that's that restaurant energy. No, you're I always know. judging. You're always... you're always judging because it's a fucking go, go, go world and you're right. under a ton of stress. And oh. everyone's being so yes, chef. Right. Sorry, I just like banged way too hard. Who are you in the book? I think I'm Danny Meyer's a child. Oh, and sneaking prosciutto at night. Yeah, because, okay, I once, like, <laughs> snuck out to a deli because I don't think I was, like, allowed yet to leave the house without supervision. I remember getting a sub and hiding it under my bed because <laughs> I, like, didn't want, like, my parents to know. They didn't want you to know that you'd snuck out. Yeah. And what you did when you snuck out of the house was, was just, like, a get sub. a big sub. <laughs> and it's, like... I don't know if they'd be so mad. That was just like weird sub energy. And it was just like this oil seeping out of the sub under your bed, yeah, like I think onto it was the like carpet. A, a bologna, cheese, pickles, something going on. Light there. mayo, light extra mayo, salt. extra uh, red wine vinegar. Not you remembering this order. Yeah. I mean, I remember walking into a movie theater once and you pulled a McDonald's cheeseburger out of your pocket. <laughs> So, you know, old habits. 
Also, one time, remember, we tried to bring, we brought subs into a movie theater and the guy was like, oh, like, you can't bring food into a movie theater. We're like, come on, we're not going to eat these subs in the well, movie anything, theater. You just, this was just, I was already in. Okay. And, you, and, you, and he was like, I guess you're right. Like, no one would eat a 12-inch sub in a theater. And then we proceeded <laughs> to like, devour those. That was during Ocean's 8. Yeah, and that was absolutely, we were all covered And the covered lights came in, on and we're covered in balsamic. <laughs> My scent balsamic. Um, who am I in the book? I, I mean, you're also. Dan. I'm also Danny Meyer. Just like constantly going on vacation with my parents and like having to escape panic and just being like a restaurant needs to be like expensive. <laughs> <laughs> um, I could like also see myself as just like one of his like many friends that he's like he was a really good guy, really good pitmaster, mm. and he knew his way around a vineyard. <laughs> or, or are we both? All the people who die of AIDS in '89. Oh, sad. <laughs> that it's that so, was cool that he did was, a shout out. No, it was his cool AIDS that he out. was being very shout out. He was just like, we did lose a lot, and you know, and ultimately our third like general manager of that restaurant, right, like also, Michael something, like Mike Romano, like then also died, like succumbed to the AIDS virus in 1989. Like, and it was too bad that we kept losing people. But I focused on my next restaurant, right. and that's when I got the idea for Tabla. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'm his cousin later in life who opened Blue Standard, the jazz club. Oh, had that double. You were like, you had a jazz club that was struggling. That was struggling and someone helped me out and was like, what if I buy you out and add a restaurant to it? And I'm like, sounds good to me. I see that. Wow. So what a book. What an incredible journey. I triple recommend if you like food hospitality. If, if you're, you're even... into restaurants, if you're into New York City, mm-hmm. if you're into the rom-com, if you like to, duck in. If you like to duck in, or if you, like, are such a business person and, like, want to learn how to, like, literally, like, treat people. Yeah, no, for our business listeners. I know all the business heads out there. This is actually a very helpful book. Much better than some of those fucking cash what, rich grab dad, poor CEO dad. books that they throw. I mean, you know, fucking Jack Welch or whatever. Some asshole like writes some book. Because all like business books are usually honestly pretty worthless. And they're just like. And they're so boring and impersonal. Yeah. This is like real. And these lessons about Hobson are absolutely vital. I mean, interesting. He says he was like, I absolutely like was not going to be like such a Trump and do The Apprentice or like do an Apprentice style and show. I, and literally, and I've never, like, when I was at USC yesterday, like he gave me all this wine to try. I was like, I'm kind of thinking like this or this or this. He was like, let's try all three. He gave me a generous pour of three different wines. He was like, finish them all. I, I don't want to let wine when go they to do waste. That. It's like, yes. like I, And he's saying he loves wine. It's like, it's a shared experience. When you give people more, it's yes. like you're not going to lose money because like you're getting way free stuff because they're definitely just going to come back. Right. You're getting repeat customers. That's what it's about. Don't try and swindle people the first time. Try and like be extra generous so that they'll come back. And you're just being like, this one actually you're going to love and is really fun. And that's the bottle that's like 62. <laughs> and like when I said to the guy yesterday, I like... I have this new thing where I say that I want um, a wine that tastes like it's just been on a hike. Like that I want it to be wiry and muscly and a little okay, bit sweaty. Okay, that's very this review of Upstate Restaurant Lil Deb's wine program. What, all the wines are just Well, like, they say that like they don't like when they're rough, at... Yeah, they are always like, oh, like, what's your favorite, like, body of water to swim in? And, like, that's how they choose the wine. What's your favorite body of water to swim in? <laughs> the ocean. <laughs> <laughs> you are. You're yeah. a natural lady. you like big, salty. And you like getting but I love tossed around ocean by a big wave. I love getting, like, fucked by a wave, but. That's the only time you're bottom. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. When I'm in the ocean. You want the ocean. 
I want the ocean in an ideal world. I want the ocean and then finish the night off in the pool. You are, you are submerged all day. <laughs> yeah, I like to stay wet. Uh, Wait, okay. Just last thing. Which Danny Meyer restaurant are you? Well, I'd like to think I'm the modern. Absolute luxury, art, mm. culture, midtown, banquettes. But maybe I am more of a USC. I Kate think Hudson. you're a USC. Yeah. You're Kate Hudson. It's like you're more like gorgeous Caesar salad. Mm-hmm. You're not, you know. Yes, you're luxurious, but you're not all the time like crazy thirty dollar like Japanese whiskey. You know what I think you are, and this is actually going to come as a surprise, but not what Gramercy Tavern. Oh, because I'm like retro. Yeah. And you're like, you do have like a big propeller in your apartment. And you, have, and you have so many like weird, like old little like pet boys, like statues and mugs and old signs. And thank you so much for saying I'm Gramercy Tavern and not Blue Smoke because I'm not a fucking theme park. No. And you're. I'm you're, just like real antiques. And you're not at JFK that often. Let's <laughs> no, no, no. I'm more LaGuardia. All right. Next week, we will be reading. Wicka, wicka. DJ Steve Aoki. And his book, The Color of Noise. It's actually blue, The Color of Noise. Oh, oh so I was correct the first time. Well, I, I mean, thought I messed up. No, 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 no. It's just called Blue, The Color of Noise. I do kind of think it maybe just should have been called either Blue or The Color of Noise. Yeah. That would have I'd been be a stronger. A little more blue is the warmest color. But yeah. we're going to get into all that uh, on yes. next episode. <laughs> we'll say their scintillating title critique <laughs> until next week. Until then, ladies, keep on dancing. <laughs> um, well, thanks for another amazing episode, Lily. It's always a pleasure to talk book with you. Mm-mm-mm. You talk such a good book. And we're going to do it next week when we read Steve Aoki's memoir. <laughs> Which we just discussed. <laughs> uh, but seriously, guys, thank you so much. And um, and I am just going to put out a little ask there. We know we've been bullying you to write reviews and stuff, but here's the deal. And I don't want to sound like, you know, a Pollyanna or the opposite of a Pollyanna, someone who's... Anna Polly. Anna Polly, who's sort of ringing the alarm bells and being an alarmist. But like, we are actually on the verge of being canceled. And if you do not tell your friends about us and if you do not spread the word and if you do not print out flyers and post them to telephone posts in your neighborhood. We're just going to be another podcast left in the mother chumping dust. Do you want it to see the desiccated carcass of CBC on the desert side of the road? And and by the way, of the audio the reviews industry? that are coming in. Oh, no, they're phenomenal. Amazing. Thank you so much. Great and we, work. And honestly, like our heart goes really? out to you from the 9 a.m. club to the 7 a.m. club, like from Every single club kid out there in the club kid universe, thank you, thank you so much. But like, it is do or die, and like, you need to you need to get out there and you need to spread the word. Thank you, thank you. Oh, and also, like, we'll see you next week. Best, best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, quick Google, good fun. <laughs> Celebrity Book Club is presented by the amazing chef Prologue Projects and sous chef Headgum. The show is produced by sommelier Meg Murnane with editorial support from one of my favorite purveyors of amazing provisions, Leon Nafok and Andrew Parsons and Madeline Kaplan. Our production manager is Persia Verlin. Her produce is, it's shocking, honestly. Engineering by Ferris Munchie. He runs this little restaurant. They make the most amazing seafood. Nothing is cooked. Nothing is cooked 
It's That Fresh. Original theme song by Stephen Phillips Horst, who is also one of the most cutthroat restaurant critics in the nation. Artwork by Teddy Blanks at Chips NY. This guy makes a mean Manhattan. All right, please follow us on Twitter at CBC The Pod. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Leave us a review and don't forget to tell your friends about us. That was a HeadGum Podcast.